Hello there, and welcome to the next episode of Driz Done Right, a podcast all about your favorite drow, Driz Dowerden. My name is Justin, and in this episode, we'll be diving deep into chapter 14 of Homeland, titled Proper Respect, discussing all of our favorite plot points, characters, and more. And my name is Jeffrey. You know, Dungeons and Dragons plays a large part of the fabric of the story, and we like to pick apart a few threads of the tapestry and look how things look at from the chapter will relate to the tabletop game that we love to play, the 5e edition of Dungeons and Dragons. Following along with the show is easy. Just grab a copy of the book, read the next chapter, and tune in every week. Uh, but remember, we want to hear your thoughts, too. You can share your favorite parts of the chapter via email at drizdunright at gmail.com. Or, better yet, switch onto your infra- switch your site to InfraVision and become a member of our own Dim Light Squad. You guys know we have our uh, Drizz Done Right Discord. The link, where is it? Up oh, at the episode description, towards the end inside there find the invite come into the dim light squad join the conversation it's a uh, goes a little bit further beyond the chapters in the page of the book our dim light squad member jaws was actually sharing pictures in the fan art show and tell section of some of the amazing scenes from what i believe is the illustrated book right yeah, uh, yeah it's like a, they didn't do a comic, comic right? it's yeah. illustrated book okay. oh is that what it is I'm not exactly mm. sure. I know because he shared the uh, they, they've been sharing the, the pictures of the illustrated book that just okay. came out. Okay. But I think these are like the uh, like a graphic novel or an animated comic right. that they did cool. of the scenes. So yeah. he had just shared chapter 13 and they, the, the, the detail in the drawings are right. beautiful. I've shared a few oh, of them yeah. on our Facebook if you've right. caught them when they come up. I have. I've seen them. Well, I was actually just at a comic book store yesterday and I was like, it's got to be here somewhere. I'm looking all over. And they actually had the the entire um it was the Crystal Shard, the whole um, uh, Icewind Dale trilogy on the show. Were shelf. you at a local comic book store? I was over at... Um, Give me a shout out. Give me a shout out. Go ahead. Complete Inbox in Ephrata, Pennsylvania. Excellent. It's, uh, Excellent. It's that actually, way, the next time you go in there, you can let them know <laughs> that you named it. Well, it's actually... Uh, I guess it's <clears throat> it's sort it's, it's like a retro video game store, but it's connected. Yeah. They also do comics in there as well. So it's, it's, it's a really cool store. But unfortunately, I did not see the illustrated book or the whatever it's called, but um, I need to look into it and find it because the, like you said, the illustrations in that amazing. I was even actually having a uh, small discussion with Sevic about hook horrors that show up inside of this chapter and uh, shared a couple of pictures as well in that show and tell the fan art section. For those of you who aren't familiar with the discord, click the invitation in the episode description. There's a link. Go ahead in there. We have a fan art show and tell, and uh, you know, there's a bunch of different pictures recently. I just shared uh, three or four of the different uh, imaginings of how these hook horrors come across. And right. I got to tell you, bro, I, I did not <laughs> see how these things were represented because right. I mean, in my head, totally different. Yeah, yeah. So to see them was kind of a little bit uh, like grotesque, like, like yeah. wow. Uh-huh. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't think anywhere in the book it really talks about that they're birds. They're bird-type creatures, I should say. Bird-like, um, yeah. Yeah, and it's just like... I don't know. You don't think of them that way, but then you look at them in the monster manual. It's like, cool. <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, they almost look like a demented. Uh, what are those things from the crystal shard? Oh goodness. Uh, the, oh, the giant know. vultures. Skeksis. Oh, I think shoot. they're called. 
Oh man, it's been a while since I read that one. Anywho, <laughs> we'll get there eventually. They're terrifying. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so Sevik was actually given a little insight on. He had uh, once actually ran a D and D campaign where the adventurers uh, came across a group of hookars, and he's like, you know, Ooh. talked about the uh, the challenges a little bit that they faced, and uh, I thought it was, it was really great. So for you, those of you who really want to take the next leap through the uh, content part of what we're doing with y'all. Get into that Discord. Yeah. Jim, join the Dim Light Squad. Come be part of our family. Give us One some discussion. We'll give you shout outs. One of us. <laughs> <laughs> so what's been going on with you, buddy? Oh, you know, I um I was gonna say pretty normal week, but now now I got um strep throat for the first time. That's no fun. My tonsils were no. the size of like softballs and um oh. Yeah, so <laughs> not I exaggerate. Uh, last time that happened was when I had mono back like over 15 years ago and uh and uh yeah it's no fun thankfully you sound you sound pretty good oh man you don't don't sound like you've been suffering once you once you put me on some antibiotics and some steroids i man i was better in almost two days and right that's um, how all those professional athletes fail the drug test is because it's like people think that (laughs) oh you use steroids for big muscle gains right technically no you use it to recover faster right exactly Uh, reduce that swelling because i could not eat my lunch on tuesday i'm just like i can't swallow what is going on oh that is terrifying that is that's horrible um no but it gave me a chance to relax and play some video games that i've been wanting to play for a while and uh um yeah that was that was my week how about yours? Yeah. Not a whole lot. Not, not too crazy. It was, uh, you know, hanging out at the farm a couple of days this week. Yeah. So uh, delivering in the rain, that was always fun. Getting oh, people yeah. their vegetables and produce. People nice. that can't get out to get it themselves. Nice. And I've uh, been playing a little bit of that, I was telling you before we came on the show, with uh, the Diablo 4 beta. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, for those of you who are in the Discord, for those of you who listen, I have a PS4 profile. Come on in. We'll, uh, we'll link up. I was playing Diablo 4, going to be playing it a bit this weekend to level up the characters, try to get a little bit of free swag before uh, it comes out in June. Yep. And when it does come out, I'll be spending a good bit of time on that one. So yeah. I got my video game list lined up. We got Para, Harry Potter coming out in April. That's coming out soon, yep. PS4s. <laughs> I think you're at Xbox, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I got PS4s coming out for, um, and then uh, doing the Diablo. Oh, boy. And then everything else slipped right out of my head. I had something coming out in the fall as well. That uh, look pretty cool. Not a modern warfare. I kind of gave up on first-person shooters for the yeah. most part. Yeah. They're very toxic and frustrating. And they, uh, they can be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, actually, it's just, just a lot of hate. Like they did the yep. uh, mm-hmm. proximity chat, and it sounds uh, great. It's a great idea. Right. right. You can hear the people near you, and yep. they can hear you. Yep. Except what they want you to hear is filth. You know, yeah. and you know, people. You know, we, I like to joke. I like to break stones. I like to be a guy who's a little bit gregarious from time to time. <laughs> My big word hanging on the wall, but. <laughs> That is not the chat that you get when people are playing something. It's just yeah. hating on one another to a degree where I could do without it. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, trying to find other kind of games where I can interact with people and have a good time. And that's where I talk about it with people in the discourse. Right. Come on out, guys. Uh, I'll give you my name. We'll oh, hook yeah. up. We'll play some. some uh, we'll play some games together. Well, we'll take it a little bit to the next level. Well, that's the best. That's the best part of playing multiplayer games is playing with your buds, playing with your friends, playing with people that you know. Um, no, for me, I silence everyone. On, when I play online, I'm just like, I don't want to hear anybody, you know, unless I'm playing with a friend or something, then we're just right, in a private right. chat. But um, no, I did hear, I don't know if this is an actual release date, but I heard that the Oculus is coming out with a third, the third Oculus, the Meta Oculus, um, well, three. Um, and I'm just <laughs> like, mm, I've never had a VR before, but 
I'm just waiting for the eye implants. You know, once they get past that step, (laughs) they get the eye implants going in. Elon, uh, believe that next (laughs) generation of the mind link. Buddy. <laughs> the PSVR 2 sounds really cool, but I don't have a PS5, so mm. Mm, sounds yeah, expensive. You should but asterisk those things, right? Yeah. I put it on my wish list, so we'll see. Excellent. <laughs> I, yeah, that's where I'm at now, uh, you know, right before we get the show here started. I'm also at the same part where I'm kicking it around. Like, it's a big investment to make into a console. Oh, yeah. You know? oh, yeah. yeah. But when it comes to gaming, it's almost uh, a necessary evil. Because if you have a computer, I do not. You have a desktop, I mm-hmm. do not. Um, it is darn near impossible to match your desktop to somebody else's and still play a competitive game because the ping rate varies, the, the processor speeds vary, and you get into a game with people. And simply having a, a very nice computer will mm-hmm. give you a tactile advantage. That sucks yeah. when you mm-hmm. don't. <laughs> yeah. I always think about it when I first started playing first-person shooters like the old Halo. Mm-hmm. I, uh, my, my, my lag would kill me every time. I, <laughs> every I never time. even bother to get good because somebody else is just running around, pew, mm-hmm. pew, 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 and it's, I'm done. I'm over. And you know, I lag as I go to climb a ladder and then uh, – Wait, how'd I die? Oh, I hate this. <laughs> so with that said, Justin, why don't we uh, dim the lights a little bit and uh, why don't you give us the Drizzt, buddy? The Drizzt, it's the part of the show where we take a look at this week's chapter and give you the Drizzt of it. So, Jeffrey, this chapter, yeah. what a crazy chapter. <laughs> There were multiple moments in this chapter, and I, I posted my reaction on the Discord because I was just I like, loved it, yeah. "Like, what is going on?" Like, there were m- multiple times where I was physically reacting, whether I was gasping, wincing, or even like releasing an audible "Oh no!" You know, like um, out loud. So, I, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. I am really excited to dive into this chapter. Uh, it was just, it was really cool. So, yeah, I mean, this book's hitting that part where like in the if you were in the never ending story, Sebastian would be lost in oh. the book. And, you know, what I mean, it starts <laughs> to become real to him. Like, right. This is, yeah, it sinks you in so hard here. Yep. I, I agree. There's a yep. lot that took place emotionally and um, societally, I guess you'd say. So it's like yeah. there is mm-hmm. the structure of yeah. what's going on, even a little clearer. And like, I mean, he's over 20 years old now, uh, over 20 years old now. So it's like. Come on, boy. <laughs> figure this out. Yeah. Figure out your figure out your society here. But he's almost right. at that point where you're like, "Hey, buddy, you were promising, but uh, <clears throat> could you pick it up, please?" <laughs> All right. So, chapter fourteen takes place within Drizzt's ninth year at Melee Magvir. Whoo! How much? Uh, nine years go by in a chapter. Uh, awesome. So, by this point, the students are now going on um, regular practice patrols. Uh, they're calling them, in the caves and corridors outside of Menzer Berenzon. Uh, mm-hmm. So when this chapter starts, we're following Drizzt and his group of 10 students along with Master Hatchnet. Uh, we learn that Drizzt is the top, of, uh, the top of his class, making him the leader of this group. And there is a second group led by Bergenjan Banray, who is the second student in the class. Bergenjan no longer his... number 10. Right. Now he's up to number 2. Then allow me. Cream rises. Uh, so Bergenjan and his group are in a different tunnel, but not that far away. Uh, so over the over the past, um, for over three months, these students have been going on these regular patrols, most of which have been uneventful. There was that one time uh, when the, a cave fisher was encountered, but it, was, um, it made a quick escape before the drow had a chance to dispatch it. Uh, this day was going to be different, though. Drizzt sensed the presence of a creature nearby. 
By the time he realized it was a drow from the other party, Drizzt already had his scimitars crossed at the drow's throat. Like, whew, this guy was on edge. He was ready for, he was ready for something a lot worse than that. Uh, the drow informed Drizzt's group that there was a missing child, a princess from House Bayonray, and there were monsters nearby. So it's like, danger, right? Yeah. Uh, Hatchnet quickly inquired what kind of monsters, to which all of their ears were met with the sound of loud clacking. Hookars. <laughs> what is that from Harry Potter the movie? <laughs> I don't, oh, I, I thought don't... you were doing the Adam Family click. I was like, I didn't hear. It. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I thought I was doing my thumbs like. Dun, dun. No, you're absolutely right. And to me, honestly, when you say that, that is one of the iconic, terrifying sounds. Like if there was a um, soundtrack to like oh. the horrifying sounds of yep. the Underdark, it would be that clack. The you click, know what I mean? Like, that's what I yep. imagine. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, if matron mothers weren't so matron motherly, I imagine them tucking in their little drowse at night and telling them, if you're not careful, the hook horrors will come for you in your sleep. And then the older like, brothers, like, in the top bunk, just, like, making <laughs> clack noises. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> so, uh, knowing that hook horrors rely mainly on sound, the group quickly switched to silent hand gestures. I just love that they can do that. Uh, yeah. They made their way down the corridor with Hatchnet informing his students all along the way to not use darkness spells because, you know, these creatures don't rely on sight, and to make sure that they aim for the soft, squishy parts between the hook horror's thick armor. Eventually, they heard a scream of a child, and Driz ignores all orders from Hatchnet and starts running full speed toward the sound. He's determined to rescue this princess of House Banray. Drizzt made it out, uh, made it to this cul-de-sac first, uh, scouting out and finding five hook horrors, which, like we said earlier, they're these bird-like creatures and uh, are bird-type monstrosities, I should say, yep. um, with these like hooked arms, basically. Now, the um, body of a uh, like insectile like body with yeah. chitinous armor. We'll get into yeah. it because that is definitely where I'm going. <laughs> but yeah, it's like a chitinous armor. I yeah. love that term. Yeah. Uh, so he tried to find a, a quick read. He tried to get a quick read on the situation before the rest of the group caught up. But Drizzt had to warn them before they stumbled into the room right in front of the two giant sentries. Um, he had to audibly shout out, Sentries! And then just all hell broke loose. Um, Driz's only concern was for this child. So he made straight for the three hookars in the cul-de-sac, getting an advantage on one, but wasn't able to dispatch it before he feared that the other two were, uh, that were right behind him were going to, you know, start attacking him. Uh, right, so he, put him he, at a disadvantage. Right, so he was so close to quickly spinning around and getting into a defensive position, but then the child screamed again. And that just kept Drizzt on the offense. Uh, so in his rage, Drizzt did manage to find a split in the uh, monster's cranial armor uh, where he plunged his scimitar straight down into the creature's brain. Say that again. That is a beautiful vocal term. He found a split in its what? Its cranial armor. That's fantastic. I love that. <laughs> uh, so one of the other hookars managed to land a heavy blow on Driz, producing a deep wound. Um, and the other Hokar, it went straight for the child, picked her up, and, quote, put an end to the child's screams. 
When you say, quote, have you ever seen birds try to eat something? Well, and that was, that's something I wanted to bring up with you. I was thinking I would, I was thinking, I I was thinking I would talk about it when you get into Hakkar's later. Let's hold it there then, go ahead. Because the way I imagined it is probably different than how it actually would happen with an actual Hakkar. But anyway, we'll talk about that later. So the, the battle raged on and was uh, not looking great uh, for the group when suddenly the second patrol arrived led by Bergenjan and Dinan to save the day. Together, the two patrols destroyed the remaining hookars in, I think it says like seconds, like they're just, they just overrun them very quickly. Uh, the groups determined that the princess was not of House Bandray uh, and actually was not even a princess, but was a male. Is there princess in another cat, uh, another castle, Mario? <laughs> so a male child of a lesser house. Drews had a real issue with this. I had a real issue with this. I'm like, what the heck is going on? Uh, why the false information? Why was everyone okay with this? Like, uh, I'll, yeah, get in, I'll get into it later. When it- when I first read this, you know, I, I, I remember this part because, again, Hokar's great scene. Yeah. Um, way back when, when I first read this, mm-hmm. I, I, I realized that, like, going into this, I was – I never saw it coming. No. At all. So, like, when he's upset about misinformation, I'm like, well, how would they have known, like, whether it was a girl or a boy? Like, they just know there's a child missing. Right. There's something in the caves. And, and like, I'm automatically, like, making excuses for their oh, lack of gotcha. information, not realizing that, like, you know, the reason Driz was so upset is because it is a, you know, a setup, right. essentially. Well, I mean, that I, that makes it so obvious that it's a setup because it's like, hey, there's a princess over yeah. there of House Bandray, which is, like, first house of Benzo Baranzan, super important to make sure we... We protect her. Let's go. And then it's like, oh, this this was not. Yeah. No. Like I took it as like whisper down the lane. You know, like right. must have been information that went from one guy to one guy to one guy to one guy to one yeah. guy. And suddenly it turned in from, hey, there's a child missing to like, oh, by the way, it's the princess. I didn't realize at first, you know, like yeah. walking into yeah. it. This is a great uh, advocacy for rereading books and going through stories. Oh, yeah. no, the absolutely. small details you miss because now the foreshadowing that leads into it, like you, you really do get a, a better feel of the duplicitous nature of the drought. Yeah. So Driz picked up on the fact that it was like something's going on here. And Driz made an accusation towards uh, toward Deenan on their way back. It's just you knew what was around the bend in the tunnel. And Deenan just shot it down and um, with a slap of his blade on Driz's wound uh, saying, keep your foolish words unspoken. And it's like, ooh, like. That is a very older brother thing to do, you know, where you just like uh, <laughs> slap on the back, like, ah, stop, stop. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to tell mom what you did, like, after you, like, I don't know, like, <laughs> threw, threw your younger brother down in the dirt, and he's all scraped up, and you just, like, whap him on the wound, like, no, you won't. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, knowing Drizzt, those words were not going to go unspoken, right? Like, he, those those were coming out. Uh, so, later in Deenan's room, Drizzt announced, announced, the child was a plant. Deenan wasn't trying to hide anything at this point. The child was, um, I mean, he lets, lets him know the child was sacrificed for the purpose of this drill. Um, so, and you know, it's only a common male child. So again, showing you that, that hierarchy of value in the drought society, it's yeah. like, ah, it's just a common male child. No right? worries. Yeah. So the child was sacrificed for the purpose of the drill. This, um, conversation started an aggressive or this, after Deenan revealed that, 
This started mm-hmm. an aggressive back and forth that ended with Deenan's hands on his weapons. I mean, it looked like Deenan was about to start something here. Uh, but Deenan slowly thought about his next move, knowing that he probably would not be able to take Drizzt out. <laughs> Put a pin in that moment mentally. We're gonna when I when we go to the dim light, uh, I really kind of dive into nice. that moment nice. itself. That's an awesome moment. Very cool. Yeah. Luckily, Vierna came in and broke the scene up, um, and it's just like, okay, good. Vierna's here. Everything's gonna calm down and be good. You're the first person who was ever happy that a female drow showed up to an altercation. <laughs> no one in Menzo Berenson has ever felt that way. And now, <laughs> what happens? No, Vierna came in to inform the two that there are rumors of vengeance on House Dowerden. They filled Drizzt in uh, on House Devere, to which Drizzt was utterly shocked, especially when he heard that Zachnafane helped with the killing of the Devere clerics. But he already knows about House Devere because Zach Nefane had kind of given him details. Now he's kind of getting like that real world account from the other side with right. none of the blinders put yep. in place. Yeah. Yep. Um, so they also informed Drizzt that he is alive thanks to Deenan killing their older brother, Nalfane. Right. That's strike the and, gong, boom, and let it resonate. That's oh crazy. Oh my gosh. It's just insane. Like... Ugh. Like we know that, but for Drizzt in that to moment, finally, right. like what? Like, yeah, crazy, crazy. Um, so Drizzt came into Deenan's room having an issue with this first house princess being a lesser house male, only to learn that now his house destroyed House Tavir, and Deenan killed Nalfane. An event that had to happen or else Drizzt would have been sacrificed. Like, what is going on in Drizzt's head right now? I mean, got to at least be some small survivor guilt, too. You know what I mean? Like, what? It's it's like from every angle okay. being assaulted yeah. mentally. Right. So just an <clears throat> insane amount of things that Drizzt is taking on right now. <laughs> this poor, poor dude has had a rough 14 chapters yeah. of this book. So... Um, Drizzt retorts to Deenan and Vierna, saying that drow make the world so difficult to inhabit. He wanted to go deeper with it. He wanted to curse the Spider Queen, but he was uh, wise enough to hold his tongue. The chapter ended with a lesson from Deenan to Drizzt. Drow warriors do whatever they must to survive, and when a deed is done cleanly... It never happened. That's a very nice focus on on the word there. Like you're, you're right. When it happens cleanly, it never happened. Yeah, yeah. Like that's that's that's. <laughs> I love how like a lot of times like, again like part of the show now that we we go through the drizz we we mm-hmm. focus on the chapters and wording. I realize like Salvatore as a writer does a beautiful job of ending and starting chapters. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, he leaves yep. you a lot of times with like quotes, literally quotable parts at the end of the chapter. I know I've done it a few times and like the last line of the chapter, I like, I want to include a lot of times cause it's like, man, this guy does great. Exactly. A great job of sewing up the story. You know what I mean? Just stitching yeah. the end of that line to the beginning of this one and love it. Love yeah. it. Um, what do you think? Think we should take him into the dim light reel? Let's head on in.
So the dim light reel for those of you who are new and just happen to show up in chapter 14 with us and for those of you who have been a while is where we cast darkness on our favorite parts of the chapter and we dim light all of our favorite characters, events, descriptions, and more. For me, I, I told you to put a pen in it earlier so we could remember mm -hmm. it. My dim light's going to be the elder boy versus second boy uh, mm. dynamic yep. in that chapter. So if I chose to shine just a little bit of darkness onto the growing animosity between the elder boy of the house, Deenan Doerden, and its second boy, Drizzt Doerden. Every drow house is naturally going to find scheming and infighting as they jostle for a superior position. But when it comes to Drizzt and Deenan, the only animosity, it only seems to flow one way. Mm -hmm. which is just completely odd when it comes to drow culture, right? I mean, everywhere else you look, they're scheming and plotting, and Cal nods right away with scheming and plotting. Right. You see it. But again, Drizzt never even looks that way. It's like crossing no. the road and only ever looking left. <laughs> it's, just, it's, not like, it's not on his radar at all. He's not built no. that way. I mean, this, I, I love that you're going into this because it very much builds on last episode mm -hmm. where it's like Deenan was thinking. That like, little line on top of the... Um, of what parapet hatched, or the, yep, yeah. the the catwalk up there where he's just like firstborn or what elder boy should be should yep, be aware that's exactly of. yep it's funny because that line is exactly what made me really want to focus in on this yeah. part because i thought yep. it did such a great job of further explaining the paranoia that's right. built into exactly. the drow indoctrination yep so my dim light's going to actually take place right after the culmination of the hook horror fight uh, Master Hatchnet had just addressed. Uh, wow, there's a lot of <laughs> similar sounding words there. Master Hatchnet had just addressed Drizzt, who is doing a little sulking and a little seething at how things went down. And Deenan appears behind him and slaps him on the back real quick, right on the wound that he received fighting from the hook horrors. Way to go, jerk. <laughs> Deenan, though, he sees the fire in Drizzt's eyes and he warns him to keep those words unspoken or Deenan will cut out his tongue. They argue about the purpose of the drill that just happened, and Deenan strikes Drizzt. Like, just slaps him. At first, I thought he, he, that he was verbally slapped, but then I realized, like, Deenan just, plop, smacked him. Yep. I assume Drizzt, with the, the, the broadside of his sword, you know? like <laughs> No, no. The, in the conversation, it says that he was sla uh, struck across the face uh, by the realization or whatever. So it's like, Deenan hit him, I believe, oh, during this conversation. Oh, oh, oh. Like, not, oh, okay. like, punched him, but just kind of, right. like, slapped him. Like, right. hey, psh right here pay attention i am your elder boy right and <clears throat> drizzt refuses to be count this is built into his nature there's no way he's going to suddenly be subservient right mm -hmm. so when deenan reaches back for a second blow to hit him drizzt catches it in mid uh, mid swing and challenges him further to which deenan responds with learn your place second boy in the academy and in the family then it's like drizzt turns around and he curses the academy and he stops just short. For those of you who are watching on the video YouTube, you can see just how short I think they fell. For those of you who are not watching the video YouTube, it's very short. This is just not there. <laughs> he stops right in front of it and decides not to curse the family as well. And that causes Dean, though, to, to brandish his sword and his dirk. Driz jumps back suddenly, pulls his scimitars out, and he says, I have no desire to fight you, my brother. Know well that if you attack, I will defend. And only one of us will walk out of here. Oh, I loved that. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, he doesn't even scream it or anything. It's yep. just like a, it's like, to me, it's triggering a trap, right? It's no emotion. Right. This is just the response to that action. Yep. And this gives Dean and pause. He'd seen Drizzt fight. In fact, he'd literally just watched him single-handedly dispatch two hook cars with the help of a third, which is something he believed that Zachnafane might not even have been able to pull off. 
Deenan realized that he really didn't like his chances in a battle, but he could not give ground. Drizzt may gain confidence in himself and in future struggles between him and Deenan. And if he backed down and gave ground now, he would never be able to get that superior perch back. Right. And I find this part really interesting because Deenan is caught essentially he's bluffing a little bit, right? They're playing cards and you're like, no, I have a great hand. He's trying to bluff it. Yeah. He came up behind Drizzt and he lobs this casual threat at him. And he's so used to being obeyed that he never even considered the ramifications of trying to intimidate Drizzt. And fail. He tried to use, yeah, no, <laughs> poorly. Because it's like, oh, I'm going to throw this at you. And it just strikes him and drops to the ground. And then Drizzt's like, what was that? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like hardly a gnat even, sir. He tried to use his authority and station from the academy and the family to lean a little bit on Drizzt and force him to heal. But Drizzt is steadfast in his resolve. He's peeked behind the curtain and he does not like what he sees at all. He's made up his mind that he will hold his ground no matter what the cause. And Deenan catches a whiff of that and it scares him. Deenan would have no problem killing Drizzt. At least, you know, not morally. He's not going to lose a whole lot of sleep over it. He's not going to, the family probably wouldn't even care that much, depending on, you know, how he spins it. But Drizzt was right here in front of him. And that means that Deenan knows he's at a disadvantage. At that moment where Deenan is debating all of these choices and he's sitting on that razor's edge, that precipice of like falling into the abyss or tipping over into violence, which mm -hmm. way is he going to go? Vierna shows up and he's saved by the bell. She walks in all, cool and cal all calm and cool and diffuses the moment, telling them that their family can't afford infighting at this moment because they may be on the brink of war. Driz doesn't have time for games. He tries to walk off. He's like, I'm out. You know, he's going to leave and then Deenan scolds him again and tells him to remember his place in the academy and the family. And Vienna drops like this little bit of a grenade in there casually by saying, as you remembered your place with Nalfi. <laughs> Deenan charges right on through the conversation without even blinking. And he's like, the battle against House Devere was already won. The act brought no peril to the family. Meh. And Drizzt is hit with a bit of a revolution as Deenan adds... It's a difficult world we inhabit. Like Drizzt is suddenly faced with so many revelations about his family. Vienna tells him to show respect to Deenan because he owes him his life. She explains the third son of a noble family is normally sacrificed to Loth, but since Nalfina died, eh, Drizzt was no longer third son. Drizzt knew that Nalfina died at the hands of a drow, for Zachnafain had told him so. But he was just now finding out that Deenan was that drow. Yeah, crazy. I love how this ends. Deenan sternly declares, we are drow warriors. We do what we must to survive. And Drizzt is emotionally gutted at this point. And he's just kind of like throwing it out there, no longer even able to muster any outrage in his tone. He says, as you did on the night of my birth, you were cunning enough to get away cleanly with the deed. And the response from Deenan stings him even more profoundly. He ends the chapter saying, it never happened. Yeah. Like, what do you what do you think he meant? I know you you well, tied it up right at the end of the chapter, but right. just kind of wanted to like you know go through that and then throw it back at you. Like, well, what, I, what do you think he meant? Yeah, and I I think just like I said before, it's just if you do something cleanly enough, yeah, then it never happened. And so yeah, like if you take out and if your house is able to manage to take out an entire other house, no survivors, it never happened. Uh, yeah, I always like. I think of it kind of like suturing a wound, right? Like if you're really sloppy at putting your stitches together and, mm -hmm. and, and making smaller incisions like that, okay. you're going to be left with this ghastly track mark scar, right? right? Gnarly built up tissue. 
But if you were a plastic surgeon with the deftest of skill and you're able to weave in there and just, you know, tie every end just beautifully together, right. chances are you might not even notice that scar. And it's like, that's because kind of the visual. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's like visually, that's what struck me when he said that. Cause it's like, you know, he's pomp and he's, he's, he's holding on to this whole like puffed up version of himself. Mm -hmm. But in that moment, he is a deadly assassin killer drow. Like his emotion suddenly switches. Like you can see, I picture this like switch clicking in Dean and then just turns and goes, never happened. Right. That's chilling <laughs> to me. Like, right. This guy is a killer. Like I, you know, because right. you get used to seeing it technically, I think for me through the eyes of Drizzt. And it's like Dean and his that's older brother, nice guy, not nice guy, but you know, nice guy. And Oh, no, remember, though, he's still a master at the Academy. He is still the guy who killed Nalfing. He is still right. a, a challenge not to be taken lightly, even yep. though in his own mind, we get to see that paranoia of Dinan as it grows, where he thinks that he would stand zero chance against Drizzt. Mm -hmm. None. Right. It's like, I mean, you'd have to think that he'd at least do as good as Bergen, Yon, maybe, right? Like, I mean, he'd be able to put up a fight because he's, he's further right. ahead and he's known how to do it. But it's like in Dinan's mind. It's it's like he's a paper tiger, all bark, no bite. Yep, yep. And it's like it's just really kind of neat to see that inferiority, uh, I mean, complex uh, inferiority feeling inside of Dean and in a world where you know he is very respected because he's the ninth house elder boy and not without skill or merit at right. all. Yeah. Awesome. So that's it, buddy. Why don't you take us into your dim light? Cool. My dim light. Uh. It has to be the whole scene with the missing child. Just, yeah. Initially, <clears throat> initially. I love Drizzt that you did this because, again, I'm sorry to cut you off. No, no, no. When I first read this, I misread the book completely in this. And I do that with like artsy films sometimes because I'm like, I just miss what they're trying to do. And I just, gotcha. you know, to me, I take it and run with it. And so I'm really happy that you're taking a moment to spotlight the, the well, child uh, well, issue. Yeah, for me. It's been a while since I read this book. So any, any, any like not major, major events like this, mm -hmm. I totally buy into. I'm just, I'm, I'm, you know, like I don't see where he's going right away. And it's like reading the book love that. for the first time, for the first time, because, you know, it's been probably close to 10 years since I've read it. So it's, it's nice. Um, no, you know, you say that and it's, it, it does bring up a point to me. Like we have people in our, in our discord who have read this 30 times, 40 times, right. at least more yeah. than five. Right? right. And just, so part of the thing I love about doing this podcast with you and for the people is I like to approach it in the way you just mentioned where it's like, you know what, even though I've read Homeland myself, like three or four times, mm -hmm. maybe four or five, and I've read it a few times. Yeah. I like to approach everything we're looking at as if I haven't. And I try to like dissect it like a frog in science class, you know, like, what am I seeing <laughs> over here? What does right. that mean? And I know where it's going to go, but I right. want to look at it at that moment right there as if I'll never see tomorrow. Right. Yeah. Awesome. So, uh, yeah, this missing child. Initially, Drizzt's patrol group is told that the missing child is a princess, as we as we talked about, from House Banray, that is. Uh, my first reaction was, how? Right. Like, like how does that happen? <laughs> like, I mean, Drizzt didn't leave his house until he was at least 20 years old. How did a child of the first house of Menzo Berenzon wander out of, like, not only out of the house, but out of their comp, uh, compound, outside of the city, how did a child, <laughs> a princess right. of the first house, manage to get out there? And I'm just like, some, like, what? 
But I'm like, okay, like my gullible mind immediately started thinking just like Drizzt, uh, which is got to save her at all costs. It's it's a princess of the first house of Menzo Barons. She needs to be saved. And so I just kind of ignored those thoughts. And maybe I should have been <laughs> listening to them a little bit more. <laughs> um, no, I'm glad so. you said that. Because honestly, again, like I didn't even consider that. Like, you know, I figured like somebody had come in and stolen the child. I, I never even considered that essentially like, wait a minute. You're telling me that this princess from House Bay and Ray, who is small and tiny, just decided to walk past the toddler gate on the second floor of House <laughs> Bay and Ray right out the well, front she door. She just like, hovered right out. You know, she, yeah, she got her. Baby's day she, out. She, like, got her, <laughs> she got her house emblem a little early. <laughs> Or got a hold of her mom's house emblem. Yeah, and we just spent this whole book reading about, right? Like you said, Drizzt, 20 years till he gets to leave the house, Exactly, Uh, yeah. uh, So it's like, I I did think at the very beginning, just like, what's going on here? But then I was like, no, 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 we got to save her. And uh, so yeah, Drizzt hears the screams of the child and he runs off by himself. Um, Despite knowing that Hukar's caught the child, he goes off by himself. Uh, which to me that makes sense. I mean, yes, Hookar's terrifyingly huge and strong, and like you said, you're gonna get into it later, so I won't talk about him too much. Uh, but <laughs> A whole lot of <laughs> save the princess. That is the that is the the goal here. Go run, Driz. Do what you got to do. And uh, Driz eventually comes face to face with five <clears throat> of them. Um, <clears throat> he eventually gets slashed by one of them. This knocks him back just long enough for another Hookar to. Again, put an end to the child's screams. This surprised me, Jeffrey. This surprised me to the point where I instinctively rose up my my hand and covered my gaping mouth. I was like, oh my gosh, like what? Like right. he lost. He 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 didn't do it. The princess died. Like, oh my gosh. And I was so invested in this moment and it it was just so surprising to me. I was just like, wait, like this was just, again, it's been probably close to a decade since I read this book. So I was just like, I didn't remember this moment at all. I was just like, whoa. After reading a little further, I was like, oh yeah, that's right. I do remember this. But um, <laughs> I mean, I was None. really it, surprised it, here. Yeah, I, I, I shared your shock as well. I mean, to me... I had to take a moment because when you, you went through the, the Drizz, I didn't realize how he knew the sentries were there. And so to just lay out the battle, essentially, mm-hmm. he runs right into this cavern without any regard to anything, just right. bolts in yeah. and runs past the two well, sentries. He, he somehow, he somehow, ah, I didn't write it down, but somehow he, he does climb up somewhere to get a vantage on okay. the situation. Uh, where he sees the sentries and the then the three in the back with oh, the child. Okay, I thought he just ran right past the two. That's why he knew that the people behind him were going to face them, and then bolted at the three near the child. But it oh. would make more sense if he was coming in because they were using the hand language. You know, what I mean, right. like, that's where I had a little bit of a muddled uh, view right. of that conversation. But what you say makes sense. I mean, okay. it, it might not be exactly how it was. I know there was a moment where Drizzt heard the group coming into the room and it's like hey if i can hear the group coming those hookars they know that the group is coming so that that was his motivation for yelling out like stop (laughs) you know um danger drow rangers (laughs) so um but exactly how he got to that point i i didn't i don't quite remember but anyway um 
So if anybody who's listening has a uh, like a uh, a mental layout of how this whole fight plan plays out, come into the Discord, drop it off in our general discussion and uh you know kind of kind of give us a, a verbal map if you want. Yeah, perfect. Uh so you know, when I read this part of the princess being killed, um I imagined the hookars picking up the child and snapping her neck. That, right. That's how I envisioned it. But now that I know a little bit more about them, I don't they don't really have hands. So nope. we'll we'll talk more about that later. <laughs> then then they have beaks. They they have beaks. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so after the fight, they look at the corpse of the princess, and it turns out she's not a princess. It's a boy, and not only just a boy, it's a boy from a lesser house, not even House Banray. Sounds like a song, right? It's a boy, a boy (laughs) from a lesser house. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So why the incorrect information? Uh, So as soon as the group determines that the child was a boy from a lesser house... The uh, mentality of this encounter quickly shifts from, oh, man, we lost, to what a fine fight. You know, like, what the heck, Jeffrey? Because all they lost was a common male child. Right? Oh, man. So, and that's not even the last of it. Drist is smart enough to figure out that the boy was planted there. And Deenan doesn't even try to hide it eventually, like when they're in the same room together. And it's just yep. crazy to me that uh, this boy was a drow child, not a goblin illusioned to look like a boy. Uh, R.I.P. <laughs> Byuk Yuk. <laughs> Poor Byuk Yuk. But he was an actual young male child. What is this boy's story? Was he kidnapped well, from his house? Or was he donated? Like, uh, it ends with him being gobbled. Was he? Was he? Was he the third child, and he he needed to be sacrificed? Because I mean, he would have been a little too uh, old, you know. But like, usually they're sacrificed at birth, right? At least Drizzt was about to be. Well, so yeah, like, they were using birth magic as well, so that might have been tied to that a little bit as well. Yeah, maybe. But I, I agree. I agree. It, like, there's just so many unknowns about how that that common male child ended up in this practice scenario oh man because it's clearly now that we you know we dissect the scene completely coordinated um yeah put together on purpose right and i don't know this this whole scene was just so messed up to me (laughs) yeah and Um, it's really neat too if you think about it sorry before you know from the 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 indoctrination standpoint Mm -hmm. like these people at this point in time have now getting towards the end of their academy training they all respond in the proper way like oh it's a male child yeah you guys we killed five hook cars man on the wall you know what i mean and they they don't even care but there's drizzt who has never taken this indoctrination nine years in and he still has not adopted that Nope, and he's getting even more rebellious. This is everything Zach Nefane was worried about, was that Driz would go there, lose his resistance to this drow culture, become just like one of those cheering drow who find out that, what, it killed a male drow? Who gives a crap? Right. Hey, we killed some hookars. We're all alive. Let's go toast. And yeah. it's 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 really chilling, right? Because Driz has this, again, disso- 
disassociation with the group and family around him. He's now finding out that, that Deenan is a monster, just like all of these monsters. And everybody's a monster, even the monsters. But the <laughs> monsters are somehow less of they're, a monster. They're less monster. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're less of than monsters the than the drow. <laughs> And it's, it's just kind of like shaking him to his core. You know what I mean? But I love that struggle with it. Because, again, you, you do see in everybody else in the academy, everybody else in the patrol, everyone else Drizzt is surrounded with. Bison. Yeah. Hatchnet is law. Everything his mm -hmm. lore says is right. And, hey, this is how we live. We are drow. Now, we find out in the future not every drow may think like that. But at <laughs> this moment, Drizzt is surrounded by watching everybody he knows and could love be brainwashed. Right. Totally bought in to not adhering to any of the values he holds so important. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. So this whole scene was just so messed up to me. Which, I mean, really, is this is meant to be a huge compliment to Salvatore because he's obviously... It's not saying, like, this man is messed up for writing this <laughs> stuff. Like, it's a huge compliment because he's obviously showing exactly how brutal drow culture is supposed... Was, like, it's how they're supposed to be. Um, yes. You know, that's how they're... That's how they were originally um, thought up. So it's amazing that he's able to come up with situations to continuously show us just how brutal drow culture is uh, this just this is just me being extremely stupid because i know how brutal <laughs> drow culture is but i keep getting surprised by it well and it's amazing right because it's so easy to look at somebody and go you know they're just misunderstood right and i think that's what a lot of people do who could be with a cursory knowledge of drizzt think of drow you know and they're like Oh, the big bad drow. Ooh, the boogeyman. Oh, they live under the in the underdark and they are just evil and assassins and they scheme. But they do. And every yeah. rumor you've heard is not even close to as bad as they actually are. And Salvatore keeps showing you that time and time yep. and time again. But he does it so wonderfully by taking these emotional moments and just attaching another thread to it and yep. pulling it a little closer and be like, again it just weaves this tapestry verbally of emotion and you're just so sunk in like you said you gasp i mean yeah how many books make you have like a visceral reaction and you know what i mean especially as you get older you're like i've heard that i've done yeah. that i've seen that right but salvatore just you know like a master fisherman is just jigging me the in. bait <laughs> and waiting for you to strike and then be like got another one Yep. You know what I mean? Got a whole bucket full of Jeffrey and Justins already. <laughs> and he's like, oh, this is, let me show you how you catch another Jeffrey and Justin. <laughs> and, you know, there I am just gobbling it up. Like, yep. this is, this is great. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. All right, so now that we've walked through the dim light, why don't you guys put on your adventure packs, get your little miner hat, turn the light on. Probably not going to need the light because you got infravision. Let's go into the dungeon delve. The Dungeon Delve is the part of the show where we're going to take this chapter, find a small part, link it with a tabletop role-playing game, and for you guys to uh, have no surprise, I went with the hook horrors. What? Yep. <laughs> to me, one of the most fun things about delving into a dungeon is definitely the creatures that you encounter. Absolutely. And, uh, Justin, I know I was talking to you about this earlier. I want to set up a, a bestiary link in our Discord. It was brought up, and I'm doing a horrible job of remembering who brought this up. 
So I apologize to our, our Dim Light squad. Somebody had mentioned that uh, we should have a bestiary. I don't know if it was Sevic or somebody like uh, Trevor or oh, Scott or somebody said that we should have a bestiary link and focus on the creatures inside of the chapters that we go through. And, you know, we do that a little bit here as we go through with the uh, the dungeon delve, but I kind of want to also just so people can have visuals, especially right. the hook horrors and stuff. Yeah. No, that's a great <clears throat> so idea. For me, I wanted to uh, do a little creature feature and spotlight the hook horror. They are also known as vulture beak, hacker, or cave dweller. Hmm. And they are large bipedal subterranean monstrosities that look a little bit like a vulture-like humanoid with bony hooks in place of their hands. It's an invertebrate arthropod. So this is where I wanted to stop. Interesting. Yeah. Have you ever seen a, uh, a, a, a bird eat? I mean... Yes, I grew up on a farm, so we, yep, we had yep. chickens, and they're ruthless little raptors. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. And so when you said that they dispatched of uh, the, right. the, 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 the small child, I don't picture them them just picking up the, the – they're taking one big claw and snipping the, 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 nope. the baby giraffe. No. Nope. I imagine them trying to eat it, which means they're... that they would like just viciously peck at it, pick Probably it up, you know, like, neck oh, wobble, man. trying to gobble it down. Like, you know. Or just like it's, pecking down and just like ripping his head off, like. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, totally. Like like a, a bird catches a worm, they just like grab it and give it a shake, and like you yep. just see that little child, like, oh man, now that's worse, that's, Jeffrey. <laughs> yeah, just so vicious. That's what was going through my head when you were talking about that. I was like, yeah, wait a minute. Like I did not consider this, but I've seen a swan try to eat something, and it's like, <laughs> and it's like it's just so vicious. Bro. <laughs> they just like. Do that like head bob upward, like yep. oh, 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 and just like swallow them all. But <laughs> for those they of you who are listening, by all means, come check out this YouTube so you can see me and Justin try to gobble like a bird. <laughs> but of course, they had a corpse to look to look at afterwards, so we know that he at least didn't get swallowed whole. <laughs> no, not fully. But I imagine that this is like one of those evil dead scenes where it's uh, it's quite gory, right? You know. Um. So one other thing that you said here is it's an invertebrate arthropod. Very interesting considering... See, that means something to you because you're the science guy. <laughs> to me, I was like, mm, that's a good word. Well, inverter invertebrate or arthropods, they're invertebrates. They do not have a spine. They don't have a vertebrate, right? Uh, right. Birds very much have a vertebrate. So evolutionary. Well, because they fly, right? They would need a, a well, body I mean, and spine. Right. They're, the yeah. mechanics to work. So it's uh, just interesting that they look so much like bird creatures, but yet they are invertebrates. So... Again. <laughs> no, it's neat too because it's it's only the, the, I believe, the neck and head as well as the feet that look True. like a bird. True. The other parts are like a, 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 like ch a chimera or a chimera. Like a, right, yeah. Of um, uh, other creatures, yeah. essentially. The hooks, the body, and uh, yeah, terrifying. So then, <laughs> even, even diving, and we'll touch into that one. The ba that's just the, the basic description of the lore from the D&D &D side. When I first read the book, I had pictured these things more crab-like in appearance. Which makes sense. It makes sense, yeah. yeah. And when I saw the renderings of them, it really made me appreciate going back to do the deep dive. Because, like I said earlier, you don't realize how how wrong your memories can be. <laughs> you know, you swear something happened in a certain way, and then you go back and find out that, surprise, the pieces to the plot line that you thought you laid out all wonderfully around the room are actually scattered. Some are flipped upside down. Some aren't even for this puzzle. You just took that from another book and put it in there. <laughs> you know, but in your mind, it's like, oh, yeah, no, I remember, though. They saved the, the princess, right? No, male common child. Like, mm -hmm. It's funny how things change. Yep. So focusing a bit more on the physical description, they're about nine feet tall. 
weigh somewhere in the neighborhood of about 400 pounds, which for the scientific side of us all, that makes them about two drow in height and approximately three to four drow in weight. You know, if we were to replace the standard system of weights with uh, measuring with drow. (laughs) (laughs) They have a head like a vulture, uh, a neck of crested feathers, and the body of a beetle, a mottled gray chitinous exoskeleton that is extremely thick and dense and covered in sharp studs. Evidently, the exoskeleton could be removed and transferred into a tough armor. Now, so hmm. I'm imagining that this means you could use it as an armor. That, yeah. Not that the hook R is going to remove it like that, a hermit crab. That would make sense. It would seem a bit redundant that he took off his own armor to use his armor. Oh, he's got to go to bed and he can't sleep in his armor. <laughs> <laughs> you know, somehow it'd be a little bit more of a, like a, a horrifying picture to see like this pale, like hook horror butt just wiggling around as they take <laughs> their exoskeleton off, you know, use it as a shield. They're just mooning the whole underdark. No shame. No shame. Oh man. I, I did find it a bit strange. It says that they are especially susceptible to diseases and parasites. Oh, interesting. Yeah. They, they evidently have a life expectancy of less than 40 years. Uh, they do molt, so this might also give rise to how they can uh, use armor so you can come across uh, oh, hook horror cool. moltings, maybe, okay. to use as shells. Shells. To use as shields. <laughs> uh, so they, they molt, their shell will slough off, and a new pliable one will replace it and slowly harden into its upgraded skeleton. Okay. For that time, they are extremely vulnerable because oh, it is a um, – it's not hardened armor. Right, of course. Uh, when it comes to their senses, they do see. So oh, they do. you could use darkness, but they, they, they don't see very well okay. at all. So they, 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 their hearing is extremely uh, acute, as well as a keen sense of smell. So they use echolocation, much like a bat. So the you know, comparison is they can see just, you know, like Mr. Magoo. With the they can't clicking? see very well. Mm-hmm. That's oh. what the, the clicking does is it echo vibrates and That's lets them know. Yeah, right? Uh, that allows them to see nearby objects without the need of light, to which they're sensitive to as well. Kind of a theme of the Underdark, right? Because there's no mm-hmm. light except right. for the Arbindel, glowing lights, heat. When it comes to reproduction, just to make sure we cover the biology class <laughs> portion of the creature feature, they lay eggs. Makes sense. Yeah. That follows. Bird. Bird-like, crab-like, they lay eggs. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> The eggs are about three inches and look like rocks. So the hook cars will actually camouflage them in the cavern by strewing them about with the rocks. Hmm. Hook cars prefer to ambush from above, their, uh, ambush their prey from above. They would work together as a group. So like we saw, there was five of them in the cavern. They're going to do that like flock creatures. And if necessary, they're going to use their ability to climb up, to retreat up a wall for better technical advantage, maybe just safety. They're going to slither back on up that wall. They live in families of no more than a dozen. They're always led by the eldest male. So a little bit of patriarchy inside of the uh, hook cars. They sleep about half the time. And ironically, they move quite lethargically when they aren't being threatened. So kind of like a sloth. And if you think about it, this energy conservation means that they could survive on smaller amounts of food relative to the large size of their body. I was about to say, when when you got into like the, they sleep around half the time and they're lethargic and all this. I'm just like, man, maybe they're my spirit monster. And then they don't eat much. Uh, right. Nah. Yeah, you're more of a lion, <laughs> sir. Tell, tell no, don't go with it. No. <laughs> I need the pride to go out and hunt for me and bring me tribute. Thank you. Oh, yeah. No, no, I am on board with that. Yeah, I can do that. <laughs> 
The, uh, the hookars are omnivores. They prefer meat, but they will resort to fungi or lichen. Lichen's how you say that, right? Yep, the, correct. Well, moss on the rocks. Excellent. Yep. Well, not rumors moss, but have... yes. <laughs> <laughs> the moss appearing stuff on the there rocks. There you go. Uh, us, there you go. <laughs> us plebes uh, who are not indoctrinated into to better science. Sorry. No, no. I always never really knew because I always saw it as like the fuzz on a rock. And I was yeah. like, oh, it must be moss. Well, right? it, it, I guess it looks a little similar. It's technically a fungi and a bacteria colony, like in a symbiotic relationship. It's not one th- like thing. It's like two things oh, wow. living together. Yeah. That's yeah. excellent. It's interesting. I'm going to have to Google that when I'm done. Mm-hmm. Uh, rumors have it that the hookars are quite fond of eating drow. They have a mm-hmm. gland in their abdomen, which allows them to eat lots of foods that would be poisonous to humanoids, like uh, shriekers we mentioned inside of the, the fight to House Tavir earlier, mm-hmm. uh, violet fungi, as well as zygoms. Hmm. Uh, hookars can also be found on Toril and Orth, O-E-R-T-H, Earth, Orth, Orth? something like that. They do have their own language communicating in a series of clicks and clacks made with their exoskeleton, but they can all also speak under common. Oh, Interesting. Yeah, that would be terrifying to hear a hook hard oh, try yeah. to speak. <laughs> you know, I picture like Gollum, but somehow worse. Probably. It's yeah. nice <laughs> to meet you, Drow. <laughs> no, no, I don't like it. Their communication is soft and gentle when speaking about things like friendship, but loud and frenzied when discussing food. So I automatically picture seagulls again, you know, like mine, 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 <laughs> mine, mine. Totally. Suddenly when food is involved, they're getting quite aggressive. Now, for the nuts and bolts of it all, we're going to take a look at the stat block for a hook horror in D&D 5e. I mentioned earlier that they're a large monstrosity. They are considered neutral alignment. Their armor class is 15, and their hit point is listed at 75. But uh, if you want to roll it, it's 10d10 plus 20. Okay. So it could be well more than that. You could mm-hmm. have a ma- uh, total of, what's it, 120 for health. Right. They can move or climb at the speed of 30 feet. Their excellent senses. Besides sight, give them a skill bonus to perception plus three. They have blind sight up to 60 feet, dark vision up to 120 feet, and a passive perception of 13. They do get an advantage on wisdom checks that rely on hearing. And if they're not deafened, they are, if they are deafened, they can't use their echolocation. So you can't right. blind them right. in the way that you would have darkness. But if you're able to summon a deafening spell or deafen them, that would be their version of being caught in a globe of darkness, they wouldn't be right. able to see. That's how you would blind them. Okay. Hmm. In terms of how they attack, they, their actions are multi-attack, which allows them to make two attacks and hook. Hook is a, uh, it's a melee weapon attack. So I imagine essentially what they're doing is attacking twice with hook. Okay. Uh, it gets, uh, yeah. Plus, yeah. that would make sense, right? Because they're not, they're not carrying weapons. They are weapons. Right. How would yeah. you carry that in that weird little clip? <laughs> thing? It wouldn't work. Although, you know, if you go look, you'll find the YouTube video of the crab with a knife. So maybe. Maybe. <laughs> But uh, to, for the hook, it gets plus six to hit, a reach of 10 feet. Ooh. Damn, it means like you don't have to be, uh, in most combat, for those of you who don't know, uh, melee combat's going to be five feet, right? Mm-hmm. So you're in the square right next to them and you're attacking. So you have to have a square that touches. What they're saying here is that a hook horror can be separated from you by a square and literally reach yep. out across it and snatch you. <laughs> That's freaky. Yeah, yeah. So... It's going to be a damage. The The damage roll is 2d6 plus 4 piercing damage. Okay. So it doesn't sound that bad right away. But well, depending on the level of the party that comes across the hook horror, it can get 
sticky. Oh, right? yeah. Because they normally, well, they hunt in packs. Yeah. And right. es- especially if it's um, multi-attack, like it's doing that two times, you know? So if yep. it hits you two times in a row, that's <laughs> that would yep. do quite a bit. Well, that's where it gets sticky, right? Because with the hunting and packs, you're probably going to, when you see one, you're probably going to find a few more dropping into the party. Yep. And anything that allows that multi-attack can overwhelm pretty quickly if it hits. Because yeah. what you're talking about is a max damage of 16, right? So it doesn't sound bad. You're going to roll a character, you're level five. Maybe you're somewhere in the neighborhood of, I don't know, 55. Just throwing a number out there. 55 health, you're a pretty strong guy running around with a nice constitution. Take 16 hit, you're still well above half except it's multi-attack so yep. you could take 32 damage from one creature <laughs> and then there's five of them that suddenly show up in the party yep. so now you're looking at a total of 160 damage being done in one turn that goes from that's if, not bad to oh, oh <laughs> are real fast well and that's like one of the struggles of being a good dm is like you you want to challenge your group mm-hmm. you want to challenge your players but at the same time you don't want to i mean i'm not looking to kill the, I'm not looking to do a, a uh, total party kill, you know, and um, TPK, <laughs> uh, you know, not yeah. all the time. Every once in a while, you guys annoy me to the point where I'm just like, just Tarask. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, and you know, it, it's, it's tough. I would imagine one of the toughest parts is trying to build out as a DM. What's going to happen? Cause if you have a party yep. of five hook cars oh. and everybody comes at, you could get 160 damage in that one round. Yeah. Or, or none, none. <laughs> because they may not hit. Right. They may roll poorly. Which happens so often, and it's so yep. frustrating. <laughs> and so, like, there you are trying to plan it out, and it's like, man, it's, it's like, you know, hook horrors can seem daunting, or if mm-hmm. you put it up to max damage, which, again, realistically will not happen. Right. It could be savage, though, when mm-hmm. it does. Yep. And then, when you didn't try to TPK, you can put the entire party's pelt on the wall behind you, because 32 on a double <laughs> would put a low-level adventurer in harm's way real quick. Oh, yeah. yeah. Definitely a good reason to be wary of the Underdark. <laughs> Justin, what's awesome. your dungeon delve, bud? Cool, thank you. Um, my dungeon delve this week is Rage. A couple times, Rage was discussed in I feel the... like when you say Rage, you got to give it a little bit of emphasis in the... Rage! <laughs> <laughs> Um, a couple times throughout this chapter, um, there was a reference to how Drizzt was feeling during the encounter with the, uh, Hokars, which he, he was feeling, he was filled with rage. Uh, he was filled with rage right after the child was killed. Uh, or, and even before that, uh, when the child was screaming, his eyes became filled with rage. Uh, and then the child was killed. He was filled with rage again. I so. love this insight that you're doing because I would have never thought of this. Because again, you know, I, I know playing right. rage isn't normally a drow thing, but when yeah. you when when you read it, he's using rage. He right. absolutely using rage. Yeah. So go ahead. So I, I mean, I don't think of. I mean, rage is a feature that barbarians use in five e. Mm-hmm. Perhaps they were used in other classes as well, uh, or in in earlier versions. But I don't really see Drizzt as a barbarian. But either way, he tapped into his inner. Uh, barbarian and he used rage um so rage is described in the player's handbook as fighting with your primal ferocity that's excellent Uh, yeah Uh, on your turn you can enter a rage as a bonus action and as long as you aren't wearing armor like most barbarians don't wear armor then you get the following bonus effects you get advantage on your strength checks and saving throws. So again, that means that you roll two dice and you choose the higher one when you're doing a strength check or a saving a strength saving throw. Uh, you can, or when you make a rage a rage attack, 
you add rage damage to the damage. I didn't realize that. So if you make a rate uh, an attack while you are raging, and you manage huh. to hit the creature, uh, or hit your target, you actually get to add more damage than just the normal roll. So, um, you know, that makes a ton of sense when you say it that way. Because if I'm swinging a hammer and I swing it hard, it does damage. If right. I like swing my shoulder, wow, there's so many S's. <clears throat> if I swing my shoulder out of socket. It's going to do even more damage. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I, I didn't realize that that was a, a thing, even though our current party plays with a barbarian. I didn't know that. I mean, I assume that Rock is doing that. <laughs> Say shout out, Rock. Hope you're doing well, buddy. Uh, so, <clears throat> yeah, like if you're level one, then you add two damage to your hit if you're raging. If you're up to at level not or sorry, at level, yeah, at level nine, you start to add three damage to your hit. And at level 16, you start adding four damage to your hit. Now, honestly, like at level 16, you're probably doing a lot more damage than, I mean, well, maybe It not. doesn't sound like a lot until you realize that like, if you're using a D6 die for damage, then you get a, multi, you know, a max of six. But what we said earlier with the hook, hook right. horrors, you might get none. This is a guaranteed True. hit plus every time. No, well, not guaranteed hit. This is a guaranteed add-on yeah. of a fixed die. Yep. Yeah. You know, one-sided, two-sided, you know, four damage at the top every time. Right. Uh, so <clears throat> there's those uh, those uh, traits that you get, but then you also, probably the most famous or my favorite effect that um, raging gives you is you become resistant to non-magical damage. So bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing, you become resistant to it, which means that Whatever you are hit with, uh, you take half. And you in D&D, in 5e at least, you always round down. So if you take 10 damage, you take 5 instead. If you take 11 damage, half of 11 is 5.5. You round down, so now it's 5. You know, it's um, you always round down. And yeah, with bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing, you take half damage. Like That's where barbarians start to make such good tanks. Even though they're not wearing armor, they're, they're, if they utilize this ability well they can absorb so much damage so they just like run up into the front and just start taking all the damage and let all the casters and ranged peoples just start bombarding from a distance what if you made a barbarian who is proficient with plate armor right i mean maybe he doesn't attack well, very well but he rages out he sits in his giant suit of armor would they ever be able to do damage no, <laughs> and, and that's the thing like barbarians are known for not using armor so well, they, no, I get that, but then you get one who's like, you know what, I'm hideous. I feel very self-conscious about myself. I have to cover <laughs> myself in giant well, metal plates. <laughs> it's not saying that they can't wear clothes, but uh, right. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. One of the one of the um, things, one of the um, things that you need to make sure that you're not doing is wearing armor because that's uh, with rage. You you're yeah, you're not allowed to wear armor. Oh, see, that's neat. Yeah. There's little uh, yep. fine details inside yeah. of it. I like that. So barbarians, uh, I didn't, I didn't make a note of it, but it said that their armor class is their dex modifier. It's like ten plus their dex modifier plus I want to say their con modifier. Like they get to add two modifiers to their AC. Wow. From what I remember, so that's like not only do they get rage so that they they are able to minimize their amount of non magical damage. But they also have a generally higher AC for not being armored, so yeah, it, so it gives them a an incentive to not take on armor. 
And I mean, it's not going to max the skill at like level 20 for the most part, because you're adding two. Right. But like, if you had it as strength, it would be OP because you're going to use strength as your number right. one slot of skill, course. every top roll for a barbarian. Yep. But Dex and Connor are going to be two and three. Yep. Yeah. You know, however you want to set it, Dex and Connor are almost always going to be two and three, I would think, because you need a lot of health as a barb yep. and you need to be nimble to be able to strike and you're do damage wanna... yep. with that strength. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I mean... As, so as they're you, really like they're, they know they forced you to put like right up in here right my youtube thing bam right there <laughs> stick that up there and that's going to be number one that's strength every time and it's almost like since yep. they know they hobbled you on purpose well you know what we'll let you add two and three though yeah <laughs> uh so there are a couple negative things associated with the rage ability though uh one they're not able to cast spells I mean, like if you were able to cast spells while you are raging you cannot cast spells or else you come out of rage um, uh, rage also ends after one minute, which is 10 turns in, in, in encounter. Um, and, or it ends after you fall unconscious or if you do not, this one's interesting. If you do not attack a creature or take damage within a round. Okay. So perhaps, um, so you could theoretically use your action to prepare an action, to prepare an attack and say, if that creature gets close to me, then I'm going to attack it. And if you're raging and you prepare this attack, but it doesn't get triggered and you don't take damage, then bye-bye rage. Like you lost it. It's That's interesting. interesting. Yeah, it is. Yeah, when you were saying it earlier, it makes me think, because you were like, oh, you can't cast a spell or it ends. And it's like, well, that's because, right, you're right. You uh, you would have to focus right. to cast a spell. And focusing is like anti uh, anathema to rage. Yeah. It's and then the unconscious, <laughs> you lose it. And if you're unconscious, you can't be mad. How right. are you going to walk around and kick indoors if you're mad? It doesn't yeah. work. Yep. And then if you don't do damage or attack, that one, that one was really interesting to yeah. me. Because again, yes, right. You're in rage. You want to go flip tables. You want to go rah, right? You want to let yep. it all out. But yeah. if you don't have a target to Hulk smash, your rage dissipates. Because <laughs> you're yeah. like, I'm mad. Oh, I'm, I'm mad. <laughs> nothing to, nothing to <laughs> do. I'm moderately angry. <laughs> well, you know what? Maybe maybe I'll take a nap. I'm out. <laughs> cool, cool. All right. Well, that is my Dungeon Delve. I think that's going to mark the end of our 14th episode here, Jeffrey. Uh, so thank you all for listening. Remember that if you like the show, give us a five-star rating. Also, make sure that you're getting the most out of this podcast. Make sure you're reading along with us. If you have not picked up a copy of the book yet, I'm I'm actually feeling like maybe it's starting to get a bit personal, right? <laughs> I mean, did you get a paper cut that never quite healed? Did a small mite of dust fly up and give you an eye infection? Look, if reading books has brought persistent pain and trauma to your life, I've got the answer right here. Pick up the audiobook, listen to it wherever you do your listening. You know, maybe your job's really boring and you'd like a little entertainment. And maybe you had a long ride. You wanted some company during the commute. Me and Justin, here we are in your ear. You could listen to the company book as well. Or you know what? Maybe you're a hook hard. You got problems turning pages because you don't have fingers and your vision is too poor to read. So you know what? Use your keen sense of hearing and listen to chapter 14. Then shoot us an email, drizzeddoneright at gmail.com or log on to our Discord and join in on the discussion. Remember, where are we going to find that, uh, that invitation? It's in the episode description. Join the invitation. Join the Dim Light Squad. We would love to hear from you. We would absolutely love to hear from you. So make sure you send those emails. Get on that Discord. It's been a blast. Now it's time to say goodbye. Man.
it's amazing. We've almost made it to the halfway point. And I got to say, you know, guys, me and Justin are so impressed with how the audience and the community have continued to grow and evolve. Hopefully you all enjoy what we're putting together for you. You know, there's a link in the episode description at the end. It allows you to reach out and donate to, sh- uh, to the show. If you want to show a little love, you can take that dollar up, wad it up and throw it at us through the Internet. Everything that comes in through the links going 100% towards improving the show, like oh, green screens, yep. lighting, improved equipment, like we were just talking about, uh, the podcast. Uh, no goodness, can't remember the switchboard in order to the bring soundboard. Yeah, you know, yeah, the soundboard to bring more sounds and, and liveliness to the things as we go through. That's exactly what we're talking about when it comes to equipment. You can give a little, you can give a lot, you can give nothing at all, and we still appreciate each and every one of you. Absolutely. Until we meet again in the next chapter of our journey. Farewell, play fair, be well.